Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft's Rattle podcast. I'm your host for this advertising space, and I want to thank our sponsors that make this podcast totally possible. The first sponsor is Sig Sauer. Guys, Sig is an awesome company. I'm a Sig nerd when it comes to their products. I'm a Sig junkie when it comes to training at the Sig Sauer Academy. There's always a Sig project that I want to kind of mess around with, and my current Sig project in case you're interested, is building up a SIG 220 pistol that I should be able to acquire pretty soon from some department trade-ins a couple towns over from my hometown, put on a threaded barrel for that guy, and then attach that, or I should say attach my SRD 45 suppressor, which is made by SIG, to that pistol. And that will be my dedicated 45 ACP suppressor pistol. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm a nerd. Um, I built up a lot of different things over the years, plugging and playing with the 320 and the 365 and the SIG tread pistol and the MPX, which by the way, the MPX is probably the most fun firearm you will ever shoot uh, just because the trigger is super, super fine, very little recoil. And, you know, people joke and they say that the MPX is the MP5 killer. And I'm not surprised. Uh, Guys, Sig Sauer is one of those companies, like I said, they have products, they have training, please check out the Sig Sauer Academy. There are a lot of good folks that train up there. I've had incredible opportunities to train with Sig. Bullets on vehicles is one of my favorite classes. The three-day introduction to long range or precision scope rifle, that's a great class. The defensive shotgun class is awesome. You know, a lot of people poo-poo the shotgun and the instructors up at Sig, they know how to run a gun. And when you are you know, using the combination of a shotgun and a pistol and, you know, you're getting a chance to work around barriers. And I mean, it's just a fun class playing with the pig. So please check out Sig Sauer. Please check out Sig Sauer Academy. They are solid, solid people, great company, and we're proud to be affiliated with them. There is another company we want to recognize, and that is Vertex. Guys, there is a discount code that I want to alert you to, and that's 20% off using the code get this ready really original fieldcraft that's f i e l d c r a f t fieldcraft will get you 20% off of the vertex website and vertex is a company that we've partnered up with over the the past couple of years they've attended a couple of our trade shows i know a bunch of the guys here have vertex bags you know i've worn vertex pants for a while you know I, i'm more familiar with their apparel than their bags but i'll tell you that their pants when i did a TV pilot show for the History Channel in 2016. I wore a pair of their pants through the desert and 25 miles through all sorts of nasty stuff. Their pants was, I, I put all this like pine resin inside my pant pockets. I still have those pants to this day with that resin in there. Uh, those pants are going on six years now and they're badass. They're great, great for training. So uh, the interesting thing with, with Vertex, in addition to getting 20% off of your order, you can... Pay attention to their site because maybe, and I'm saying maybe, but I really mean definitely, we'll be launching an updated version of our recce shirt. We had a generation one recce shirt. It was really, really popular. It's my favorite travel shirt to this day, right? There are buttons on it instead of, or snap buttons instead of just like regular buttons. And it's just a really comfortable shirt. Well, I've seen the prototype of the one that Vertex is doing and it's great. So pay attention. It's coming up. That's going to be the new recce shirt from Vertex. Again, 20% off of their site with the code FIELDCRAFT. And their site is www.vertex. That's V-E-R-T-X.com. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get to this podcast. 
Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for this episode, and I got a really awesome guest in the podcast studio today. And I gotta, I gotta admit, I taught him how to tie his shoes. That, the, and, and that might not seem like something totally, totally incredible, but when you realize who this man is and what he does, it meant a lot to me to to hear from him and you know hear all that simple knot that you showed years ago. I show all my guys this, and I was like, that's pretty damn awesome. Guys, let me put it this way. We had a lot of interesting folks in the podcast studio over the years. Some guys are military guys. Some guys are knife makers. Some guys are outdoorsmen. This gentleman kind of ties it all together. You know, he mentioned earlier the trifecta, talking about myself with a few of my friends. But the reality is this guy pulls it all together in his own cool trifecta. And his son is over here. So we got a shout out, Jedediah over there. Uh, he's off camera, but he's hanging out. Cool kid. Or I should say cool young man, because if he can make tomahawks, uh, that's pretty damn badass. So Jason, welcome to the podcast studio and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you having me. So let's start off with that shoelace story, uh, that bootlace story. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I get a text message from you or, or I think it was a message on IG. And you're it like, was. You're like, Hey man, I show my guys this. And I'm like, well, okay. I've shown this to a lot of people, but you've got some very special guys that you taught. And obviously I don't want to say anything that's going to, you know, break any NDAs that you currently have or say anything sensitive. So I'm going to kind of just let you tell us as much as you can. Sure, sure. So uh, so can you tell us where you were, who you were showing and that type of thing? Sure. Yeah. Uh, when I retired, I went and worked at uh, went and worked at uh, SEER school, the Army SEER school down uh, in Camp McCall, where I trained uh, all special operations coming through the high risk SEER school. And I taught the survival phase specifically. Me being a just constant student of anything survival. I mean, I digest all the survival shows. I've been on a survival show, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I'm always looking for the new, just something new, something new to share, something new to show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd known about you for a long time because uh, I've been friends with, uh, we have a couple friends that uh, in common. And uh, when I saw that post that you did, I said, man, that's a pretty unique way, depending on, you know, what type of cordage you're using because you may find yourself in a survival situation and you have to use your bootlace for something. Well, and then you have to use something else as a bootlace per se. And uh, we all know, you know, 550 cord comes out very easily mm -hmm. depending on what knot you use. If you just tie a regular bow knot, that'll be untied in no time flat. So I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, way to use that. And it, it kind of uh, I married that with a bunch of different types of cordages. And if you, if you kind of, uh, snap link that together with how to, how to source cordage material, whether it be natural, man-made mm -hmm. animal, and, and then, you know, teach how to make cordage from that. And then here's another knot that you can use. Well, and, and it's applicable for sure in so many different ways. So, yeah, I mean, I just thought that, and I wonder, I want to give you uh, you know, credit where credit was due. I know you were shown that at some point in time mm -hmm. in your life and you share that information and then somebody uses it. And I, I always feel like it's important to reach back and give credit where credit's due yeah. to people so that they, they, they can, they can then, cause you gave credit you know, when you, when you posted that. So I think, I think it's very important that there's a lot of few original thoughts left in this world and it's just repackaged and, and done in, in, in a different way. I think that's, uh, it's, impo it's important to show kind of where that originated. Yeah. You know, uh, I just talked about a good friend of mine, Doug Meyer. I don't know if you ever bumped into Doug mm. or not, but he's a North Carolina guy mm -hmm. and Doug is very, very particular on, you know, citing his, his mentors and his, you know, his instructors and whatnot and just a solid guy. And I, I don't think, 
there, there's enough of that. I think there's a lot of, you know, let me ride on someone's coattails and let me, let me steal their ideas and then say that they're mine or repackage them. And it's like, wow, if you're, if you're willing to do that, what else are you willing to do? You know, but you just said a whole bunch of things that I know people when they're listening to this are probably like, wait, 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 you said survival show. And he said, Kent McCall and he said, Sear. So let's slowly unpackage all these. And we should probably start at the very beginning. Sure. Where did you get your start in the great outdoors? And when did you first, when did it, when did the bug bite you? Well, I think uh, like many children of the 70s and 80s, you know, I'm almost 50, you know, so I grew up with zero technology, kind mm -hmm. of a lower to middle class family, kind of a rural area in Baltimore where I grew up and we had access to the woods, creeks, crawfish, you know, we, I spent all my time in the woods, you know, I'd been told my whole life that I was born too late, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I've always had a passion for the outdoors. Uh, just never had access to the right people. And I've told this to many, many people over the years. I feel the greatest word in the English language is access. Access to anything, access to information, access to clean water, access to food, access to people that can truly change your life by introducing you to something or give you the skill set to you know, to kind of quench that thirst for that knowledge. So I knew I had it, but I didn't have access. I didn't have a, you know, kind of a, a mentor uh, from a father figure standpoint to really drive me into mm -hmm. the woods and do those things. So, um, you know, fast forward into the military, my first deployment to Afghanistan in 04 with 7th Special Forces Group, really, and I, I, I cite this all the time as, as when I really understood first world problems and saw what hobo forge is all about you know repurpose reuse until it becomes and i think that's uh, really from a primitive standpoint really how if you look at the evolution of uh flint napping mm -hmm. you know from a bigger piece and yet they, they work that piece all the way down into the smallest usable tool so i looked at how the afghan people did that with their everyday life and the and the resources the minimal resources that they have and i was just enthralled and how these people lived and survived right. and man did it hit home and uh, i think that's really where my journey of self-exploration into survival and all things that had to do with self-reliance and, and capability kind of came about. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny because a lot of people are looking to like field craft for survival training and they're looking to these American survival instructors that are first world people. Mm -hmm. But honestly, you could probably learn a lot from just looking at the people who live in these third world countries that are repurposing items that are thrown away by, you know, the corporations that are in those companies, like in the Philippines on the coastline, they use the, the big, like uh, tire treads, you know, they use that as handle material for knives. Mm -hmm. And it's like someone threw away that giant piece of rubber and we're spending a lot of money on knives that have these rubber handles for competition cutting and whatnot, mm -hmm. but they repurpose it. And then like, you look at Haiti where, you know, there's that island Lava D, which is from the Royal Caribbean, like that's mm -hmm. their private island. Well, Royal Caribbean has private security guards on that island keeping the locals out because after the hurricanes and earthquakes and whatnot, the locals are going there stealing like all the, the beach chairs and stealing everything repurposing it and making new homes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. if you want to see survival instinct, don't talk to the the first world guy. You know, no, no. I mean, we're pretty good with technology at showing cool stuff, but I mean, for people that just get it and know how to do stuff like that, you're spot on. Like what was the most creative like repurposing or recycling that you saw over overseas? Uh, well, it was just, I don't, I don't think they consider it like if you would ask them, they wouldn't say repurpose or recycle. Right, right. They would say living. Mm-hmm. 
They don't view things from a survival standpoint. They view things from, uh, you know, a water, shelter, fire, food aspect to life. And that's what we all need for right. life. So they look at things for the ability to provide a, you know, a, a specific service, right? So whether it was drinking water out of old Prestone, you know, antifreeze containers, or I mean, I saw, I saw, uh, you know, kind of the pilgrim type people, the coochies that kind of go through the desert over mm-hmm. there, the herdsmen that run the you have camels and goats and everything. They, you know, they were still drinking water out of animal skins in 2004, I mean, you know, so I see these uh, these adjuncts that they're using to fulfill this need and it just blew my mind, you know, and and I, I told my students and this is a quote that I've said for years and years and years and look at things for what they can be, not for what they are. Mm. And I really took that from from them because everything, no matter what it is can fill a need now or will probably reveal itself as a need, you know, as uh, the ability to fill a need that you may have later. Yeah. These, I know that natives used to call that like the knowing eye, right. Or the seeing eye. So like if you had a branch that was forked, you know, they would say, well, you could make a a hook out of that if you just cut it, (laughs) you know, but you didn't necessarily know that there was a hook there until you looked at it and you're like, what could I use that for? So, so I mean, that's spot on. Um, But damn animal skins. I mean, when the water goes in there, Probably not the most sanitary to drink, but those guys probably were were used to all the bacteria and they had the natural immunities. Certainly. Well, the water they're drinking over there is, you know, it's not purified. It's yeah, not, yeah. you know, you drink, they're drinking water out of the Maroof River, which is just, at, you know, it's it's crazy. You know, you think that they're almost their, um, their immune systems and their GI tract is like acclimated to, you know, we, we over package, we over uh, you know, because it's a marketing ploy, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes, when it comes down to it, the, the best way to purify water is to boil it. Well, you mm-hmm. don't need something fancy for that. I mean, obviously you need the knowledge of, you know, how to start a fire and then how to boil water. But, uh, you know, outside of that, everything else makes things easier, makes things, you know, they package it in a way that, you know, and I'm, I'm not bagging on any of that stuff. Cause I think it's important to have a lot, they give, give people access to places that are, you know, maybe you can't have fires in that location or whatever, you know, for, to, to boil water but you know the simplicity of thought is what i was attracted to right because you know my whole mindset of of survival is more psychologically based than skill set because i don't care what your skill level is i can teach you to be a, sur- a survival person you know i can't teach your mind to be a survival right. person right. so it's mindset over skill set uh, and i People have asked me all the time, like, man, you know, how was it being on that? And I will probably dig into the survival show, you know, but uh, I I mean, I can hold it for that and try to remember. But, you know, my mind is, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm talking. But anyway. Yeah, I got to take this opportunity to uh, to to right a wrong. During my last podcast, I kind of called out the guys that own that company, Grail, that makes Mm -hmm. the water Mm -hmm. filters. And I was like, yeah, they they, uh, you know, they ghosted me. And I was like, I don't know what the hell happened. Well, recently. Brian Edwards, who works here, he uh, he posted up the Grail, and I was like, "Yeah, I wish those guys would have reached out to me." And they finally did. So, if you guys are watching from Grail, um, I know that that package that you're sending me for testing, you know, and for media is coming in today. I appreciate you guys reaching out. And for the listeners, Grail, they they kept to their word. I spoke to the guy who originally ghosted me, if you want to call it that, and we cleared things up. And I believe in second chances. So just clear clear in the air there. <laughs> but yeah, we we used to always teach boiling water at the Wilderness Learning Center. And that was Marty's go-to mm-hmm. in Vietnam. And it was his go-to everywhere. But, you know, sometimes you can't boil because mm-hmm. you can't make a fire. So that's where something like the grill or, Absolutely. or MP1 tablets or, or 
you know, are you guys still using the iodine or are you, are you using SteriPens over there? Uh, iodine, it's iodine. And, you know, we teach, we teach the grail over there as well. And, and that's something I wanted to introduce into the water program uh, yeah. as we kind of revamp that based on, uh, again, the word access. You know, grail gets you access into places in the world as a soldier that you don't stand out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's an all access pass to clean water without standing out as somebody specifically in particular and it, and it takes out pharmaceuticals absolutely I, I never knew that that was even possible and you know call me a conspiracy theorist or maybe just call me someone who's like really concerned about just my health and like the health of the people i care the most about but you hear about people dumping pharmaceuticals into water treatment plants and those water treatment plants may or may not remove those and now it's like hmm how like with the increase of pharmaceuticals that doctors are just throwing out there like you 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 get antidepressants and you get anti like what is that doing to us as a society i don't know i'm not the scientist but it's kind of cool knowing that there's a product that if you are out in the wild it's going to remove i mean pharmaceuticals they said most of the toxins that are out there obviously all the biological stuff mm -hmm. like it's a really cool product mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on it and take it to washington state this weekend and try it out but aside from the grail and aside from boiling, do you have a pill preference other than iodine? Like, cause I know some people can't do iodine because of the um, shellfish allergy. Mm -hmm. Do you have one that you, you prefer or? Um, you know, personally, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not, I don't want to say believer, but you know, I, I'm not big on a lot of the pill pack type stuff for water, you yeah. know, because of the, not so much the shelf stability, but the efficacy, long-term efficacy. Because, I mean, as a 18 Delta, prior 18 Delta for many, many years, I mean, I understand the the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. detriment that time and UV light and things of that sort have to do on stuff. So when you're when you're gambling your life <laughs> and dysentery and, you know, many other things that can come, that's you know, one, one of the ones, you know, crypto and Giardia, blah, 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 that can, can happen from water. I... I you know, me, I'm, I'm always, I'm an old school, like boil guy, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's ways to do stuff. I mean, you know, to, to get it, you know, clean, but, I, but I'm always going to carry it back up. I'm always going to, you know, have that primary, that pace plan in my, in yeah. my water. So, um, I guess if, um, if I had to pick something, I don't have shellfish allergies, I would use iodine, but iodine, you know, iodine has been proven not to kill everything, right, you know? Right. So there's aspects of that that aren't even a hundred percent. So I just, no, I don't have a So role. you're not, you're not the cheerleader for the pills, but you'll say no. boil. Yeah. I'll say boil all day long yeah. and I'll, and I'll teach people that. And then I think really the idea is then to, to figure out how do I boil this clandestine? Mm -hmm. Now we get into Dakota Firehole. Now we get into maybe some, you know, we get into an alcohol stove. We get into mm -hmm. something very, very low. Um, you know, I'd rather carry alcohol stove than carry pills. You know, yeah. alcohol stove doesn't have any smoke. You know, I can boil clandestine in an alcohol stove and I can boil enough water to get me, get me down the road. Yeah. And you, you can, know? and you can make an alcohol stove with soda cans or beer cans that are found it, everywhere it, in the That's world. right. And a nail. And I mean, there's, yeah. there, you know, I mean, yeah, if anybody hasn't heard of YouTube, I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great platform for learning. You know, I mean, uh, and denatured alcohol can be found worldwide. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't have to be that it could be heat. It could be, you mm -hmm. go to an automotive store, you can find about anything. You can use a lot of those multi burners will burn about just about anything. Uh, I think there's ways to get that done. And I mean, I, I don't, I'm not saying, you know, Hey, you know, just pee, boil water. Don't worry about anything else right, because, right. you know, you, you could be in an urban environment where you, know, you know, a lot of 
you know, situations that uh, may not pr- provide that. But I think in a lot of ways, the questions you ask me, my mind always goes to a military standpoint of mm-hmm. survival because I taught it for so long. Right. The idea of not being caught, the idea of being able to fulfill these needs in, in a clandestine type way. I mean, come on, man, if you're a civilian, who cares what you do? Just boil the water. Right. I mean, what? If, I mean, why are you boiling water anyway? Because you you probably need water or you're going to die. Well, start a fire then and have somebody come find you. And then you won't have to worry about it. You know, so it's like if, you know, when the park ranger comes to give you a ticket for starting a fire, say, thank you for saving me. Put right. out the fire, <laughs> get in his truck and go get your ticket, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So I think we create a lot of problems for ourselves as, you know, in kind of like the civilian market. Mm-hmm. And we create uh, things to fulfill a need that maybe isn't really there. Right. You know, so to speak. So, I mean, if you go into a high risk fire situation area, well, then, you know, take something with you and be do your due diligence to make sure you don't start a fire. I mean, and uh, I don't know. And and I want to continue with that military perspective before we get to like the the woodsman, the resourceful guy that was on that TV show. So you said your first deployment. What was the, the total time that you spent overseas like did you you did multiple then if you said first yes uh, so i think uh in my four deployments you know i was in afghanistan for about 10 and a half months which was a fantastic deployment with seventh group because we were very isolated up in the mountains and i did a lot of medical i did a a, a ton of you know interactions with the local populace as well as training with um and obviously, this is uh, only a couple years into the war, so things are quite new. Um, you know, we were back still riding with doors, you know, trucks with no doors and chicken plates on top. And things hadn't really changed. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of early in the war. Uh, my next three deployments uh, were with a SMU at, to Iraq and Afghanistan. So a little bit different uh, mission set and um, my job description and uh, what was expected of me was much different than when I was in uh, seventh group. So... I, I didn't have enough time in, in a lot of ways to appreciate uh, the culture uh, that I was in and to uh, kind of see some of those things that I wanted to pull out of my first deployment. I got so much out of that deployment. I It would take days to talk yeah. about it all. But. Um, John, who you just met in the other room, he went to Utah for the first time uh, last year and altitude sickness hit him hard. North Carolina is clearly not as... Uh, elevated as sure. Afghanistan. Did, yeah. you wit- did you witness any of that or did you experience in the altitude change? Like, did it hit you guys hard? Um, I think, I, you know, we were five, 6,000 feet. So it wasn't super high. Like when I climbed Mount McKinley in 2010, you know, base camps at like seven grand, yeah. I got AMS bad around 12, five, 13. And I actually, you know, I didn't summit. I actually had to come down. I was very, very ill. So having been through that and knowing what that feels like, I think we acclimated quite well because the, 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 we lived at, lived at altitude, kind of a lower altitude there, and then, and then gradually moved up. And then we lived there so long, and there wasn't any significant, mm-hmm. uh, big significant changes uh, during, during missions that would cause that. So I, I never really treated, I never saw that or treated any of that during my time over there, no. Yeah, the, the mountains are a humbler. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Coming from Connecticut, where my my house was at less than a thousand feet, you know, and then I moved to a place where I was living at fifty five hundred and and working at fifty five hundred, and then hiking routinely to like eight grand, ten grand, eleven k, like like you don't realize how badly the world can just beat you down. The atmosphere can beat you down until Absolutely. you get up in the mountains, but it's it's a great equalizer because you know if you have that capability, if you have those lungs, my God, I mean you are. 
you can be a threat up in the hills, you know? Oh, and, yeah. I, and I think about like, you know, I, I think about like the true mountain men, right? The ones that, you know, tackled the frontier and the ones that, that braved, you know, America before civilization. And I think about like what those guys, you know, had to go through and man, and, 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 and meeting up with like people who lived up there, like Jesus, uh, I don't know. I'm just digressing. I, I haven't had enough coffee. Yeah. Yet. Uh, interesting for sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, absolutely. Okay. So, so you, at some point you meet up with Glover um, mm -hmm. and we should probably talk about that because Mike has, has asked you to help out. I'm sure at some point we're going to get you more involved with the company, but how did, how and you, how did you and the other half Asian that works at the company, uh, I, I won't say the better one. I'll just say the other one, you know, how did, how did you and Glover meet up? Uh, so, uh, Mike and I, you know, we didn't, we didn't cross paths like in selection, but but going to the SMU, we both uh, went to through some training together up there um, over over a course of time. Became uh, pretty decent friends, you know. Mm -hmm. But we both had different uh, areas of focus, you know. Uh, I was a uh, I was a medic, you know, so I had a different job description. And, and he was a, a weapons guy. Yes, right. absolutely. And um, so he had he had a different skill uh, skill set that he was training for in in that mm -hmm. specific uh, time that we were training together. And and I my focus was uh, clearly uh, on a different path. But yeah, that's where I met Mike. That's where we became friends. And I knew him for years after. Obviously, he's a very busy man, and we yeah. we, we didn't uh, we didn't speak for some years. But I think it's been about about a year since uh, you know we kind of talked to each other. On on text but uh um be great to see him again obviously because uh, uh tell him congratulations for what he's accomplished for sure because this is a, a fantastic company and a lot of great people he's got working for him and i think that's a that's a testament to you know doing doing the right thing and being being right to people you yeah. know and, and you know it's kind of it comes back at you you know you know if you do if you good do good by people it'll come back to you in a good way Spot on. so yeah. yeah it's funny how some guys you like you don't see for years, you don't talk to them for a long time. And then you just jump on the phone or you send a text message. And it's like, you guys never had that lapse in time. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and that exists in so many different ways. Like my college roommates and I are like that, you know, and, and guys that, you know, I, I had gone on, you know, long trips into the backcountry just like that, you know, like shared experience, shared experience. Absolutely. I mean, uh, th those things are, tend to, those are ties that truly bind very tightly within, within uh, the military community as well as the civilian community. I mean, they, you know, when you talked about your college roommates, you guys shared the stresses of exams or you shared the the parties or you shared the the commonalities. And, and I mean, you became friends for a reason, right. maybe similar backgrounds or similar focus and discipline in school. Um, obviously, you know, I, I get friends that, you know, I went to ranger school with my friend, Jay and he's a pilot in the 160th i'm you know i've known the guy for 30 years and mm -hmm. and i talked to him I, I he lives in new york and he's retired now but like i, I don't ever see him you know i just saw him when i went to maine and you know recently but uh you know for 30 years me and this guy have been friends and we went to ranger school together in 1993 so it was uh I have a few friends that are like that, you yeah. know, that are very, you know, because you have that similar and I like, it's almost pain, you know, that you experience like that really, really kind of ties you together. So. Yeah. We always say shared food, shared hardship and shared fire. Absolutely. Right? Those are the three. Oh things. yeah. Yeah. Get very all, memorable. Yeah. You get all three of those. You're going to, to build a, a tight knit group. Mm -hmm. uh, your friend Jason's a pilot. Glover's trying to become a pilot. Is he? Yeah. I don't know if you heard about that. No. Uh -uh. Um, so race car driver, pilot. Yeah. Uh, Cowboy. You only live once. A Asian cowboy, you know? Yeah, you only live once, man. Damn right. You know, it's like you gotta, you gotta, and we live in the greatest country on the planet. And as far as opportunity goes, I just, I don't understand why, uh, 
um, more people don't see that as mm-hmm. a, as a, as a plus instead of a negative. I mean, there's, I've been all over the world and I've seen such hardship and, and such strife and struggle. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, it doesn't matter how bad you want something. It's not available. It, it doesn't matter. Right. You can want all you want. Um, uh, here you can want and want and want, and you can continue to receive, you know, I mean, so. Well, that was the line from uh, Grumpier Old Men, that that movie, right? Where uh, Burgess Meredith, he, he says, you can wish in one hand and crap in the other yeah. and see which one fills up first. Well, in right. the United States, like you got opportunities, oh, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it sounds cold and callous to some people when you say, well, you just have to go after it. And people are like, oh, but it, your things don't just get handed to you. It's like, you're damn right. They don't get handed right. to you. You got to earn it. You, you know, you got to earn it or you got to go after it. You got to be willing to grind. But but you'll never you, you'll never be robbed of the opportunity. Exactly. And that's really what all that you're promised right. is a fair opportunity. The quality of opportunity. That's right. That, that's that's a, that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, and, and it's a shame that people can't see that. A, a lot of people can't see that. And I, I hope that. Uh, I hope that their lives improve. I really do. Agreed. <laughs> you know. So at some point after your four deployments, you decide I'm out. Um, what was the deciding factor? I mean, obviously you you mentioned that you wanted to start Hubble Forge. You saw mm-hmm. the the folks over there that were super resourceful. Um, when did you make that decision? Do you recall where you were when you were like, I think I'm good. Uh, well, you know, I, I was almost, uh, you know, I, I was almost at 20, I was a little over 20 years in the military. So I was eligible for retirement. I, um, I felt like that chapter of my life was closing and I really enjoyed that time and the men that I worked with and the, and the places that I'd been and, and things I'd seen and things that I accomplished within mm-hmm. my career. And I felt like that, that chapter was turning and I, you know, like we were just talking about Mike and, you know, you know, you're, you're seeking that next thing, you know, and not my wife likes to say, well, when is it going to be enough? And I say, never. Right. right. When I'm dead. Yeah. I mean, it's never going to be enough, you know, it, it, and it's not about um, the monetary aspect of things. It's about the experience. And if and if there's money associated with that or growth associated with that, there's always going to be physical growth. If there's monetary growth behind it, then great. But I want the next thing. I want to seek out the next mountain. You know, I felt like the, you know, like I said, the chapter, we turned the chapter, the book's not closed, right? That, right. But we've moved on to a new chapter. So I, I took the opportunity to go teach survival. I was going to, I was working on my bachelor's of health science because I was going to go to PA school. I was, a you know, 18 Delta for 12 years. So that seemed like a natural progression. Um, yeah, you might've had a little bit of experience to well, back up the books, right? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I didn't have the passion in my heart though. Because I felt like that chapter was closing uh-huh. as well, the medical aspect of things. So I went and taught survival, which I was very passionate. Now I get to explore something that I felt like I was very passionate about in a, in a real way and affect people's lives in a positive manner to like, you know, practice these things. Well, I get bored very easy. You know, I worked out there almost 10 years. And I, you know, in the meantime, I was grinding on the side, starting my own company. You know, I've been blacksmithing a long time. So I said, you know, I've been, te- I was using that as a test bed. I was like, hey, what do you think about this knife? Right. What do you think about that? Right. Hey, you, you can have that one. You can have this one, you know. And I'm getting feedback from from these people. Do this, do that. You know, maybe you could fix this. And I mentored under a couple guys um, that gave me some great pearls, some older blacksmiths some knife makers. And um, then that chapter closed and I wanted to grind onto something else. So, um, 
you know, that's where I'm at now. I'm doing this as, as new opportunities open up, new relationships Mm kind of come, uh, come full circle, you know, for me, I'm meeting new people. I'm, I'm getting uh, the ability to be on more platforms and affect more people's lives. I don't do this. I don't do what I do. My company doesn't exist for the monetary aspect of things. You know, I fulfilled my service to the United States government and I've been compensated through my retirement, you know, but I do this because I love to do this. This is a metaphorically speaking, my company and my product represent me and every man that I served with and every, and you'll see on the Tomahawk when I break it out, you know, every hammer mark, every scratch, every represents the life that I and these men lived, the sacrifice into the fire, out of the fire, hammered, reshaped, re, retooled into something else, something better, you know, all beat up, maybe not perfectly straight, but still, but still, <laughs> still but still, functional. still functional, still very effective. And, um, that's very important to me for people to understand that that's what my company's all about, you know, and, and I'm able to pair that together with the survival aspect of things because I love to bring that sense of self-reliance and, yeah. and, and stuff to people. Something that a lot of survival guys don't talk about. Uh, I mean, we, we consider like the physical world. We talk about, you know, the need for protection and shelter and, and fire and water. But when you're starting a business, you got to look at your economic survival, your, your financial stability. Can you talk to the process of starting your own business post-military, like maybe some of the lessons that were learned sure. when you were like, I'm going to do this. And then you get that reality kick in the pants where they're like, oh, you need to have X, Y, Z. And you're sure. like, oh, here's another few hundred dollars for this. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I was very fortunate. Um, I had started a lawn care business while I was in the service. And it's funny because I was running a lawn care business while I was doing some pretty uh, intensive training. I'd go cut grass at night after work, you know, because I wanted to understand how an LLC worked, how to manage money, how to run a bank account, how to go through a CPA, what that did to my finances. I was trying to use the military as a safety net in, in which to kind of get some of those experiences. But I didn't have any, I didn't have a lot of people helping me. When I um, was working at SEER, Rick Hogg from Warhawk Tactical, and I uh, love, love Rick to death. I've known Rick for over 20 years. And Rick, met with me and we had coffee and Rick laid it all out for me. And he was like, look, this is, this is the path you need to take with your business. You need, you, you know, you have something special, you have a drive, you have purpose, use these things as a, as guidelines. And he, he really steered me in the right direction, kind of gave me a roadmap to really lay down the solid infrastructure financially mm-hmm. that you really need to start a business. So you can begin to start taking advantage of write-offs and the ta- right. and the tax code, you know, right. um, outside of that, my business, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much, uh, involved with hunt primitive tribe and Ryan Gill, who's a business mentor of mine from hunt primitive, Ryan Gill, small business owner created something out of nothing in his garage and running a, a tremendous business right now. And he, uh, you know, him and I are, we talk, have me you know, talks once, twice a week, you know, on, growth and business and, you know, reading, you know, reading the books that kind of aid you in understanding how to grow your business, you know, uh, kind of the Robert Kiyosaki kind of, mm-hmm. you know, book set there, tax-free yeah. wealth, cash flow quadrant, all that kind of stuff. So starting out, I had some guys in my corner that recognized something special in me. And then I was able to capitalize on that by being around people that were trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of starting a business is not surrounding yourself with people that want to take, but people that yeah. not not only want to see you succeed, but they want to succeed with you. All right. So, you know, it's funny. You talk about the, 
you, you talk about like not surrounding yourself with people that want to take. I feel like that's one of the, the pitfalls too. Like people are like, oh, he's got a new business. What can I get out of it? As right. opposed to saying, how can I help them? How can I give? How can we grow together? Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to give because if you give, you will receive mm. and you give without, you don't give with expectations. You give because you believe, you, yeah. be, you believe in the process. You're not, you're not envious of what they've done. You know, you see something great and you want to be part of something great. So you say, how can I be of service? Right. I mean, yeah. being, being, being of service. And that's how I look at my business. My business is a service. When I teach survival, when I share my passion in, of survival and what I know, it's all in service. I mean, what Henry Ford say, you know, the, you know, money just keeps the business moving or just, you know, that's the lubricant, that's business yeah. lubricant. You know, I mean, I have to buy belts and things like that to keep the business running. But outside of that, my business is about putting my product that I believe in and that my customers believe in, in their, in their hands, you know, and, and giving them something special that they can use and tie that with, you know, uh, survival training or what have you, hunting, fishing. Now <clears throat> you, you have your path in the military. You have your lawn care business, which I still can't believe that after all the training, you would go and push a mower and, and, and run that. That's service. Like, yeah. You're doing like probably 17, 18 hour days. Um, and I'm probably underestimating. That. <laughs> hey guys, we're just going to interrupt the podcast for a hot second to recognize our sponsor. 10,000 guys use the code fieldcraft. That's fieldcraft for 15% off of 10,000. I've been using 10,000 stuff for running and hiking and rucking and a little bit of martial arts training. 10,000 makes really, really good shorts. I've got a pair that has like the internal uh, compression stuff, but it's not like a bathing suit. It's more like actual spandex or, or compression shorts. And then there's the outside. So you got all the support you need and they're just really, really comfortable. Good, strong waistband too. So if you're like me and you know, some people will call you strange because you run with a loadout of a pistol and a blade, because you got to know, you got to run with your tools. Then the 10,000 shorts are the way to go. 10,000 makes a lot of really, really good products and we are happy to partner with them. So if you use the code Fieldcraft, you will get 15% off of your order. And like I said, they're pretty damn good. You're not going to find any crazy colors on there. They're all pretty muted. And a lot of folks like 10,000, a lot of very professional individuals are using 10,000 products in their training. And I highly, highly suggest you do too. So please go over to their website and check out all that they have to offer. Use our code Fieldcraft and you are going to get 15% off. All right, guys, let's get back to this podcast. So now let's get to the, the question about the show. When did you decide I'm going to do this show called The Beast? Yeah. So uh, the opportunity, I'd, I'd always wanted to test myself against the parameters of the survival show because I was a I was a student of survival mm -hmm. shows because I always wanted to vet things I saw in these survival shows and then bring that into practice in a real world environment because I teach survival. Right. So I have a test bed right here. I have 16 guys I'm training in a survival scenario. Let's take these things that I saw and let's make these guys do them. Mm -hmm. Let's do them together. Let's see if it's if it's tangible, right? right. Uh, and and that's where I would vet a lot of that stuff. But it, but that's never putting you in the in the in the shoes of the individual on the TV, which I, that was the part that's very hard to appreciate to the level of appreciation that I I now have for them um, after being one of them. Ryan Gill gets a call about being on this show. He doesn't like the opportunity, doesn't like the uh, parameters, so he tells them to call me. I get a call. 
uh, do a verbal interview, say I'm interested, show a level of interest, I get another call, and then the process, the six-month process starts of the vetting to get on the yeah. show. And, and um, in the interview, did they tell you, all right, now you're going to answer these questions and you got to be super enthusiastic. Like they were trying to coach you through how they sure. want to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, well, they, yeah, they, it was very much scripted, yeah. but, but yet when uh i had to be interviewed which right. i which i thought and i don't really know the gentleman's name and i'm not i definitely don't want to uh um speak bad about the individual mm -hmm. but i was in, i was interviewed by a survival guy and it was comical to me cuz i was like he's asking me survival questions and i actually stopped him it was a it was a one on one zoom interview and i mm -hmm. actually stopped him and i was like what makes you qualified yeah. to assess my yeah. ability to survive do you have any experience in the skills that they're asking me to bring to the table? I mean, because the beast mm -hmm. was no tools. Right. So right. I, as a flint napper, as a practitioner of, of primitive survival skills, I felt overqualified for, yeah. for what they were asking me to do. I butcher game all the time. I butcher game with rocks all the time. It wasn't my first rodeo doing that on TV. A, a large game animal like that was very challenging with right. with the medium that we were provided. But sure, no problem. Uh, so it, the whole process seemed kind of comical to me. But I go through the process. I end up getting on the show. Um, and that's when I it all really I came to realization that I got myself into mm -hmm. um, British Columbia, right? Uh, it, it was actually Great Slave Lake. So, okay. yeah, I guess, I guess that's up near the taiga up, up mm -hmm. in the burial forest. And we were up there. On the same, when they were filming The 100 Day, my friend Keith Sires uh, was on uh, alone at the time. And Corey Hawk, another friend of mine, uh, I actually made Keith Sires' knife for the show. Oh, no Yeah, for alone. And uh, he was actually filming alone at the other end of the lake. And I was on another end of the lake. And then they had another team in another part of the lake at the, at the time I was up there. So very challenging environment for sure. I'm not a super cold weather guy. I mean, I, I don't mind being in the cold weather, but you know, I, I, if I have my druthers, I was in seventh group, I'd rather be, you know, in a warmer climate, but um, it was challenging. Absolutely. But the challenging part I found more so than anything was, was the cameras, was the invasive uh, aspect of, you know, you can't just sit around. It's like, well, but I would sit around. Right. I right. would conserve energy. I have food right here. Why do I need to go do X, Y, and Z? So before going on the show, I was asked to provide them with a list of things I wish to accomplish on the show. So I, you know, I listed all my grandiose ideas of what I wanted to accomplish. And I accomplished a lot of those things, but they use that almost in a, in a way to drive, uh, the drive the drama. Yeah. Drive the drama, drive the production. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, do the drama. Like they would get in my face with the camera and be like, "Hey, you know, are you?" Yeah, and I'd yeah, yeah. and I would just put my hand on the camera and be like, "Get out of my face!" Yeah. How do you feel about that guy over there doing yeah, that? Do and, you think he's plotting against yeah. you? Like, I was yeah. like, "That's not what I'm here for, yeah. man. I don't, I don't, I'm not. I'm here to show, you know, showcase my skills." Which, in my opinion, uh, not only, and I'll go on record saying this, they missed the greatest opportunity to make one of the greatest uh, survival shows on TV. And they just rolled it out like garbage. What was the miss? Uh, well, how they how they rolled it out, how yeah. they branded it. You know, I mean, it's the it was the only show on TV where you you were never giving anything. Yeah. You know, naked and afraid. I, I don't want to do naked and afraid. My hat's off to the people that go with no clothes on to some of those environments. Got it. But you're still given a knife. You're still given a fire starter. And you're still given a pot. Right. So we were given nothing. We were we were given nothing to boil water in. We drank. We drank on faith out of the out of the lake, you know, Giardia. We could have got sick at any point in time, and Amy yeah. ended up getting sick 
while she was out there. So, uh, you know, we were given no tools whatsoever. Even on a loan, they're given 10 tools. Now, they, they were. They, everybody would say, oh, well, you were given this big moose. Well, then you go skin a moose with the rocks <laughs> yeah. I skinned a moose with. You know, myself and Nate, we worked very, very hard to to, to get that. And Nate did a, a ton of that work, obviously, because I was kind of the go-between with working a lot of those other skills. I was, Obviously, you saw I was working on the fire and, and that kind of thing. Let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, like, drama. So when I go back and I YouTube my name and fire and beast, I see, like, people that'll you know yeah, i think one I'm guy sure commandos yeah i think one guy actually said you could tell that jason didn't have a lot of experience with the bow drill i've done thousands of bow drills um you you put yourself in a situation and let me just paint the picture for you you know you're you have two cameras in your face all the time asking you if you're ready to quit because you can't get this done mm-hmm. um just go away and let me work on you know if you, my buddy phil labelle who was on the the episode before me, he, he went off by himself, like away from the cat. They had to go find him to watch him do his hand drill because he left because the cameras put so much, you know, you had the producer sitting right there, you know, watching. I mean, it was a crowd. I mean, what you're not seeing is there was a crowd of people watching that event happen because it was such an important event to be able to carry us for the rest of the days. Cause without the fire, you can't cook the meat. You can't eat, you can't eat, you can't make it through the show. So, um, very uh, strange situation. Now, um, the materials up there, very difficult to work with, very small, very tight, tight grained uh, stuff. And I'm not making any excuses because I believe that that fire is physics. It's Mm -hmm. friction and it's heat and it's combustion in its simplest form. Now, granted, pairing the right products together makes it easier, makes it more effective. But um, it, it was very difficult up there, carving the set with the rocks and, and things of that sort. And I just ran out of gas. And, and that's and that's the thing that, again, the camera doesn't pick up and it's because of editing. When you are when you start off with your bow drill set, you've got the perfect notch, you burn in the initial coal, then you rough up the spindle some more, and then you run it again. And if you don't get it successfully, you have to repeat the process over and over. And you know- Hours. It's hours. And we, so picture this one. We tried doing a bow drill tutorial video through Fieldcraft where I had all of my materials like perfectly staged. I had everything ready to go. And I kept getting coal after coal after coal, perfect coals. Tinder bundle was picking up moisture because we we're doing it next to a creek. And I'm like, well, let me try making a new Tinder bundle. And it was, it just wasn't catching. Probably took about 17 or 18 coals. And I'm, I'm burnt at this time. Oh like, yeah. I, I ran it like 18 times and it's like, okay, we finally got it. And then we had an issue with one of the SD cards and all that footage was gone. I'm oh. like, son of a gun. I'm never doing that again. And you're doing the edit. Yeah. So how so the, the the psychological aspect of you of you doing that is quite different. You're the only pressure is the pressure you're putting on yourself yeah. for that video. I don't want to talk about it. It's kind of like those awkward years in your childhood sure. where you're like, son of a, you yeah. Know? I, I I feel I feel <laughs> you. I feel you. I mean, to to know that I had done that so many times and struggled so hard was was almost bittersweet because I always want to show the fallibility yeah. of myself in survival. Because that's important for people to understand. I think, again, you know, uh, the, the the social media platforms, you, you show success. Yeah. You know, you get to show your edit. You get to show your cut. You don't get to show, like, the, the 17, 18 tries or the things. And, and I appreciate those channels that yeah. do because then I'm like, oh, I, that happened to me. Yeah. That, that I can relate. You know, it's very hard these days to relate with success for a lot of people that mm-hmm. are struggling. You know, they need to relate with 
with almost the failures that that are ignored and and continued you know that that try 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 to succeed you know instead of just giving up kind of thing yeah more people are like clark kent and diana than superman and, and wonder woman you know what i mean right. like you're going to fail and it's okay to say that you fail or, yeah. or you didn't succeed you know we had mike Lowe uh from season two of alone mm -hmm. on the show and he said alone is the only show that's edited twice it is i mean you can he gets uh, his edit he gets his edit and then they edit the edited content that's exactly and, right and you know i've heard from other people and I'm, I'm not throwing the show alone under the bus but i've heard that some of the edits were just so disingenuous where it's like this guy tapped out he was afraid of this and it's like they didn't show the bear charge right that he caught on camera and it was a bluff charge but it was a grizz and it was or it was it was a black it's enough to scare anybody and they sure didn't show that and they made him just they, they punked him and i was like i i can't i can't do that yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that bothers me. Yeah, TV has a way of, uh, and, and and I'll go back real quick to the show I was on, you know, and that sheet they had me uh, do because I I did I made an atlatl while I was out yeah. there, you know, I did trapping while I was out there, you know, you know, I made a sling for throwing rocks, you know, just just trying to do all these bushcraft skills using the animal, right? I made I made a I twist overlaid like a hundred feet of fishing line out of moose tendons. Yeah, that was never shown. You know, they they didn't show. They didn't highlight my skill set because it didn't fit into the narrative, the narrative. Show, right. and which which I think is is completely wrong because that show, if any show, should be designed to highlight skill set coupled with mindset. Mm -hmm. Where I mean, sure, certainly alone they they got it right as far as a survival show. There, I think I think they got it right. That's that's a great show, and I know Clay Hayes. I know a lot of the people that have been on that show. Yeah, um, great guy, and and kudos to him because I'm I'm sure it was a very tough deal for sure. But I think that the drama that exists with TV is is very. Uh, I don't know. It's not attractive to me. Like, I, I think there's enough drama in survival without creating more of it. Right. Right. I mean, nature create, and you know, I, I used to tell my students all the time, it's like nature hates your guts. Yeah. Mother right? nature. She hates, she yeah. hates you. Yeah. And people say, oh, well, work with mother nature. Mother nature doesn't care. Yeah. She it's has like, a, she has a winning track record. That, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like if that plant, that plant growing in the woods, you see that plant, if you can identify that plant, Right. Or say, say you can't identify that plant, mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, you can't identify the plant. Does that change the fact that it grows there? Right. The fact that you can identify that plant is you and your knowledge. Nature is going to have that plant grow regardless. The fact that you can't identify it, that's that's you, not nature working against you. You know, that's yourself. Mm -hmm. I tell my son all the time, I say, uh, you know, if you don't know something, it's because you're stupid. If you can't lift something, it means you're weak. Right. Period. Right. This desk doesn't care how strong you are. The desk weighs the same, whether you're weak or strong. If you can't lift it, it means you're weak. So I take it you don't like participation trophies, you know? Oh, well, I don't believe, I, yeah. I don't, I don't believe in any of that <laughs> stuff, man. There's there's winners and losers. There's a winner and there's everybody else lost. I mean, that's just the way I grew up. And I think that if more people approach life to that, that right. way, you would be faster to recover you would be more successful in a, in a, in a, in a, you'd live in a better space where you could be more successful because you would, exp, you would know the difference mm -hmm. and you would know what the taste of not winning tastes like. And pretty soon you want to wash that yeah. out of your mouth, yeah. you know, but if you never know really how bad that tastes, you know. So I got one more question about yeah. the show that you're on. Did you experience any food boredom from the same? Absolutely. Taste? Absolutely. How did you combat that? Just, I would, I wouldn't eat for a couple of days. 
and until I was like really, really hungry again. I mean, I lost 55 pounds while I was on the show. So, um, and that's eating moose from day three on. Now, granted, there was a couple of days I didn't eat, you know, like I would take like two days and not eat because I, I just wasn't hungry and I just didn't want to eat it. And then, you know, as it got colder and colder, it got harder and harder to cook it because, you know, we'd have to leave a, the ham in the shelter with us next to the fire to ensure that it didn't fro freeze solid overnight. So that way in the morning you could take a rock and bang off some meat to cook on a rock next to the fire. So, you know, just cooking the meat was challenging. You know, I mean, uh, th these things aren't captured. Right. They're not really highlighted to the level, you know, you, you think, oh, well, they got a moose. They had, there's three people. That's not a survival show. Well, I mean, that just shows you how much of a neophyte you are when it comes to survival right, and right. understanding the parameters that were dealt to us. And, that, and that's all on the network. That's on them. Right, right. They they edited it wrong, in my opinion. They they could have done a much better job, uh, uh, you know, of 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 rolling that out. Now, I I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm gonna tell you right now, all the people I worked with from the producer on down were some of the greatest people I ever met. But obviously, they have bosses. Mm -hmm. There's an agenda there to create TV. I just think they could have done a better job, and I you know to this day I really appreciate the opportunity, but. You know, I would, I don't think I would go on TV again, to be honest with you. I think you're better off where you are right now. So. <laughs> I'm, ha I'm definitely happier. <laughs> so let's talk about what brings you the happiness. So you brought in a few things to, yeah. to show. These are some current products. Um, before we even get to this, do you have your Puko on you? Your survival Puko? I, I, I don't. I, uh, I actually am, I'm, I have a few left on the website, but I'm like sold out. Like that's okay. a, my problem is like the reason I have the Hawk here today is because I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to launch this on the website and mm -hmm. I actually brought these for you. Oh, um, you so and, and this is, uh, you know, my, my leaf, uh, striker when, you know, when people buy, um, uh, buy a knife for me, I give them a hand forged leaf comes with the knife, you know, and, uh, it's got a, you know, my son actually forged this one. And, you did that? Yeah. And uh, it's like done. It's got a 90 degree spine on it. You can feel it's got a nice 90 on both sides. On both sides. So, oh, so it's good for right yep, or left. So if you're right or left, um, it's got, it's, it's just mild steel, but it's quenched, it's quenched in water. So it will throw a spark, all the, albeit not, spectacular off of chert so you could use it for black uh for char cloth as well for flint and steel but it's designed to be paired with uh you know a ferro rod of some sort and this is just one of my uh hobo forge kind of arrowhead ferro rods so i brought these for you thank you um, so much because i think i think that you will get the get the most out of them oh, these and will, these will definitely get some use there's yep. no doubt about that and it's kind of cool that you you know subtle hint to your to your lineage you know with the arrowhead and you said quenching in water uh, as opposed to oil. For those that might be listening that don't know what normally could happen if you quench in water, what sure? What's one of the trade offs if you quench? Yeah, in water you quench in water. You'll, you'll depending on the carbon content, you're gonna crack the steel for sure because it just cools too fast, right? So you're gonna crack it. But since this is mild steel, uh, um, and I only and I only quench the edge in mm. water. The rest gets quenched in oil. Okay. So just the edge is quenched in in water to ensure that we have a nice hard edge here, and um and and it'll hold that ninety. And 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 it's since it's mild steel to touch this up with a mill bastard file you can just put put an edge right back on it no no problem at all yeah how bad does it bother you in the movie conan when they quench the broadsword in the snow that's got to drive you nuts ever since yeah i, I mean to a few people and they're like love the movie love crom yeah love love the wheel of of, of strength yeah yeah love the pit fighting the sword scene 
bothers me. Yeah, the yeah. the riddle of steel. You know, I mean, it's uh, I I don't. I mean, I think that uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it definitely it's it's for dramatic effect. I mean, mm-hmm. if we look at you know, I got asked, uh, I got reached out. You know, Forge and Fire reached out to me many years ago, and. And they said, uh, you know, they'd like for me to put an application in and come on the show. And I said, I'm not interested. And, I, and a lot of people would have jumped at that opportunity because I think it's a great show, but I think it's it's definitely given people a, a, um, an unrealistic uh, picture of, of what a knife yeah. not only should be used for, but like is capable of doing. I mean, that show should be called Forged and Destroyed or something like that, yeah. you know, because the, the knife is being made for to be for a destructive test. Yeah, a torture test, which is fine. I mean, that's the only way to really kind of, you know, t- test different uh, heat treats and, and things of that sort. Um, but yeah, I mean, the you know, when they quench and then the fire flies up, man, that's like you burn your face off, man. Like I never I never quench like this, you know, unless you're trying to burn yourself. I don't think that's a it's it's all part of that. We want to capture that flame for the camera. It's dramatic effect. And I think on Conan was kind of the same thing. And, and you know something, I'm just going to throw out some allegations. I'm not saying that these are true, but do you think it's possible? And you don't have to answer this. Mm. Do you think it's possible that that show could potentially stack the odds against the contestants with dull drill bits and potentially with the wrong resins and you know like i don't know if they would ever do that to create all these problems that master smiths could encounter that they've never encountered in 20 something years unless well i well i think that show i stopped watching that show and you know that may be a, a viable point. I don't yeah. know. I don't. I don't know. It's TV, so anything's yeah, possible. Like I said, it's just an but, allegation. But but I think I think that show derailed for me as far as watchability when everybody on the show was a master smith right. and everybody was making you know three hundred layer Damascus. And I feel like you know early in the shows, Ryu, who was one of my favorite episodes, made his battle axe in a satellite dish in his backyard, New Jersey. Filipino, by the way. Yeah, great, great artist. Yeah, phenomenal. The other, there was another guy that had to build a forge in the ground, Dakota Firehole style, because he had to make a sword. His forge, he was working out of a brake drum. That is what Forge and Fire, in my opinion, should be about. And I think more, more, uh, more times than not, what, what you, what you were, uh, what you were seeing was guys that have no idea. Like Ryu didn't even use any of the equipment because he didn't know how to use it. Right. Right. right He's right. like, I'll just use an angle grinder because that's what I use at home. Right. He didn't know how to use a power hammer. He didn't know how to use a press. So I'm not going to use it. And he just stuck with what he knew and he ended up winning. And I think that, you know, you, you, you pad the show with, with uh, master Smith and I'm not against, you know, guys seeking out that level of competence or, you know, achievability or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think that that show really is attractive to guys like me um, that are just kind of working out of their basement or working out of their house and, and mm-hmm. trying to start a business and try to build a brand and and that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. I, I just the familiarity with things like, I, you know, you see on the show, guys will grab the glue. Right. And they'll right. be like and they're sitting over there like, oh, man, he grabbed the 30 minute epoxy. That's right. The, right. Yeah. And it's like and, you know, it says it on the bottle. But if you if you look at a, like a, some epoxy bottles, the like if you're using two part resin, some resins will say, you know, say five minute on the red bottle. But the blue bottle won't say anything in it. You got to know that because it, it came in the same package with that mm-hmm. one, that it's five minute. for. But the 30 minute epoxy looks exactly the same. You know, so. I don't know. Guys get in a hurry. That's a tough timeline, you know, to create something, uh, you know, that they want, they want you to build. So, and, and honestly, I know that there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that's thrown at the contestants. I'll still watch it. It's entertaining. Sure. And, absolutely. You know, you know, I've met some of the judges, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Knight. Mm-hmm. What a cool dude. 
What a freaking cool dude. We, I'm in a uh, blade show in the elevator mm-hmm. uh, with my buddy Alan Odinson mm-hmm. who had a repeating crossbow and, and he was like, man, what is that? You know, like, yeah. just a nice yeah, I always enjoyed his time on the show. He's yeah. a, he's a super, uh, just a super knowledgeable guy. And I, I like his, his take on, he doesn't over think stuff. It, it's just, it's simple with mm-hmm. him. And he's very, as a matter of fact with, and I think that a lot of times stuff gets overthought when it comes to, you know, building blades and building effective tools, because that's what a knife is. You know, I tell people all the time, it's like uh, a knife isn't specific to a hunter or a, or a combat guy or, you know, tactical this, ta- mm-hmm. everybody, everybody from all walks of life in this country, it doesn't matter who you are or what you, you know, whatever, it, it, everybody uses knives. You cut your salad, you cut your steak, you know, it's right. like, Right, you know, right. it, it's 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 a you know it's it's a usable item so 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 if you could imagine those judges talking about that mm-hmm. what would they say let's like yeah maybe not necessarily from a quality perspective but just design like I'm sure like, talk to us as if you were like a judge talking about your own stuff yeah so so i think i would pick this up and and first and foremost i would look at it for for fit and finish because with a tomahawk or an axe or anything like that and i know you do a lot of axe stuff i, I you know um talk about you know it being in the cold and then you know warming it up prior to using yeah, i watched you, that i watched that, that whole video which i think is important because i'm always i'm always looking at because those little pearls in from a teachability standpoint rewind before that axe gets in your hand. All those things need to be addressed before it even makes it to you and understood for the environment that this may find itself. I just shipped one of my first ones to Idaho to a guy out there and he loves it. And he's using a very, very cold environment out Mm -hmm. in Idaho. And he's, and what better test bed? You know, I'm a hundred percent guarantee on all my stuff. So if he was to have a problem with it, you know, he just send it back to me and we'd fix it. But I would look for fit and finish, you know, like how the head fits, fits on here for in using it. I'd look for, you know, maybe how proud the, uh, the, the handle uh, is sticking above this to, cause this is a wrap around so in use this there's going to be creep so you want this to be proud enough that as this creeps up and finds its home you can trim that off later so i'd want there to be and i test all mine so mine have found pretty much 80 percent solution on where they're going to live so that's why i trim it there but uh so i'd look for that i'd look for you know shape dement i was was gonna say i gotta cut you off right right off i'm looking at this you just took this off and i see something that you did that not a lot of people do with just the this is technically like file work, right? Like on the yeah, it's kind of a rock grind. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a signature thing for me. It's done on that's the top, badass. top and the bottom. That's so. Great. A lot of you know my sheaths from. I like my sheaths from far away to be recognized as my sheaths. I was told one time by a great blacksmith. He said, um, he said, Jason, if you want to be a great blacksmith, learn how to do leather work and learn how to do handles. He said because the knife spends. Uh, 80% of its life inside of a sheath and all that's visible is the sheath and the handle. So make beautiful sheaths, get good at leather work and make good handles. So I've really focused on a sheath that, that can be identified from kind of far away. I do uh, a specific pattern on all my sheaths and they're all different. So um, they're all very unique to you. Everything I make is very much custom, which again, takes me forever to do stuff because I want it to be so special for the person that receives it, whether they buy it off the website or they, or they actually ordered it from me in person or you know through some social media platform I've, i'll talk to you offline i think i have an idea how you get that that die pattern on sure sure yeah um, yeah we'll talk about I, it but i think i know it is yeah. pretty damn cool I, I haven't seen that before but it, well, but well, now from here i'm like hmm well yeah again if you if you, <laughs> if you see this and you see something in it you immediately are going to think oh for sure hobo forge yeah because not a lot of 
you don't see this a lot because people think it looks, you know, it's not clean. It's not the same. It's not. And I don't think like that. I think uh, very nonlinear kind of in thought and all my tomahawks are different. You know, all the grinds the same, you know, um, it's kind of a convex grind to, you know, almost kind of a scanny, scanny edge. So it's very easy to sharpen, you know, but the, even the tomahawks roughly are the same length, but they're, you know, they're different they're all different. You're, every every, swing every one of like, every swing yeah. of the hammer. I mean, this is all, this is all forged. Yeah. You know, that's a 10, 1095 bit that's forge welded from the tip to the handle. So you're never going to run out of 1095 as you sharpen that. And this is technically what, what will they refer to what, as a trade hawk? Like where it's two pieces of metal and it's. Uh, yeah. Like a wrap around. Yeah. Wrap yeah, around. yeah. And, and forge and forge welded. Some, some guys will drift. They'll drift the center. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd use mild steel as cladding and then forge weld 1095 because I have a lot of 1095 cutoffs. So I use those to forge weld in the inside. So, so Tula just joined us in the podcast too. Tula, do you think you would use that on anyone if they ever tried to attack Vinny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tom tomahawks are, are awesome. Uh, you know, I, I feel this thing and it's like, man, this is one of those, those tools that, you know, it's so survival oriented. People think like, oh, a tomahawk can't be used for survival. It's not an ax. And I'm like, okay, you break an ax, an ax handle and you can replace the tomahawk, hand, tomahawk handle or an axe handle pretty easily. Tomahawk feels so good in the hand as an ulu. Oh yeah. You well, I mean? like, well, another reason and you, you talked about that. I just posted that video of me skinning that bison meat up. Yeah. And you know, you give it a wrap on the floor, and that head comes right yes. off. Yeah. So easier for sharpening. You can use it as a you know, like you said, an ulu. You it just uh, you can you can then you know put it on the edge of a log and pull McFeather sticks yeah. or whatever. It's just the usability changes by being able to take it off of there as a opposed to an ax where it's it's pretty much set in place and then uh you know it's it's went ahead and you know uh cross-sectioned here so you know it's not going to come off with this you wrap it on the floor you take it off the handle breaks no big yep. deal you just make a new handle yep. for it very quickly and, and the tomahawk doesn't have as much steel as the axe or the hatchet so it's lighter mm -hmm. so you can carry it if you do go up to the altitude it's not going to feel as heavy right and Man, I mean, a lot of people will poo-poo the tomahawk and be like, it's not a tool, it's a weapon. It's like, why can't it be both? You know well, what I, mean? <laughs> I, I don't think, uh, you know, I think that we are in a distinct relationship with everything on this planet mm -hmm. that's a tool and a weapon. Yeah. Everything. Since since the beginning of time, rocks have been used to crush people's people and and uh, and and uh, animal skulls, uh, either in defense or in for food. And then they were then made tools that were made to make clothes for their kids. Or, yeah, or then, to cut food for their family. And, so, I, and I believe that the technical nomenclature was uh, BFR, you know, for big freaking rock. That's uh, right. Yeah, it's very, very technical. Jeez. So when was the last time you read the book Hatchet? Have you read that one? You must have. Uh, I think I'm familiar with it. I think, actually, I think I Hatchet at home, actually. Uh, it, it's I, a fun read as an sure, adult. Sure, sure. It, I actually, I do have Hatchet at home because I bought it for my son to read. Yeah, it's a fun read as an yeah. adult, uh, you know, and that's a book that like every kid I know has read. But I reread it like four years ago mm -hmm. as an adult. And I'm like, I really freaking love this book. Yeah. And the guy that wrote it, uh, Paulson, he actually is like a legit outdoorsman, like was a bush pilot, did a mm -hmm. lot of cool stuff in his own right. So I'm wondering when your book's coming out. Yeah, I don't know. I been, you know, I got a lot of stuff to say for sure, but it, I don't have a lot of time, it doesn't seem like. So I, I guess I need to start jotting some stuff down. Man, I mean, there, there's so much. So where can people find you? Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram, uh, Hobo Ford Survival uh, or underscore survival. And 
Facebook, same, same. And then uh, my website is www.hobofortsurvival.com. Um, I have my custom, like I said, you know, my custom list is always open. I mean, I've pinned people on my custom list for over a year now and I don't take, you know, I don't take anybody's money. I just take your name. And then when yeah. I call, when I call you, I'll build your product, you know, so feel free to reach out to me if you're interested. Something that I want to bring to Fieldcraft North Carolina is guest instructor days. You know, obviously, like, I love it when people come and train and they mm-hmm. show up and they're like, they have my, my book and they have it like bookmarked and they're like, can you sign this? Like, yeah, I love yeah, this yeah. Like, that's cool. Sure. But I always tell people like, do not learn from just one source, have multiple sources. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people that have unique experiences that have so much to share. I want to start offering courses here where I bring in a friend of mine, someone like you, who it's like, learn from Jason for a day What and offer it off you know, the, our catalog, mm-hmm. of, Hey, this is guest instructor day, have a whole list of people that are just awesome individuals. Um, but have this be the hub for learning, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. Like really make yeah. it a true. Absolutely. I teach, uh, I teach for my, my buddy, Josh Inyart from Graybeard to Green Beret. I teach his primitive skills course for him. Um, I'm working with Ryan on developing some hunt primitive college courses. And then obviously I'm, you know, obviously getting, getting my, uh, my school off the ground, you know, has always been a, uh, more of a, a, a land kind of procurement issue mm-hmm. and then, and time more so than anything. But you know, I was hoping to teach some classes this year for myself as well. But I mean, I'm very, very interested in all things survival. So any way that I could bring that passion, that level of, uh, you know, interest into people's lives. I'm always interested in doing. So let's leave it with your final word on what is one overarching theme? Like if you could be remembered for something in your life, if you could give, uh, like a charge to someone Mm -hmm. for learning survival skills, like what is your, your credo, your, your motto? What is, what is it that you, you throw out there? The, the enemy of good is better. Oh man. Now I would say, uh, let that guide you through life. The enemy of good is better. That's Man. all. That's all things survival. Man. I, I want to go deeper, but I also said that that was the final word. So we're going to leave that as the final word. All right, guys. Uh, this one's been awesome. I'm going to go make a fire in the backyard now with this uh, fire steel and scraper. And, you know, we're going to do some stuff offline and talk about courses in the future. So thank you so much for listening to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I've been your host, Kevin Stella. Until next time.